Hello and welcome to the November edition of the Health Leader Forge. My name is Mark Bonica. I'm a professor at the University of New Hampshire's Department of Health Management and Policy. And I'm pleased to bring you today Tim King, the Vice President of Business Development for G Green Construction, a construction firm specializing in healthcare facilities. Tim has a long history of working business development for construction firms, starting with his father's commercial real estate development firm, moving on to work with civil construction, including the Big Dig in Boston, and finally specializing in healthcare construction. In this podcast, we talk about the construction industry and business development in general, and then focus in on how business development in healthcare construction actually works. Tim talks with a lot of passion about his work, and I learned so much about a side of healthcare that I've personally not been directly involved with all that much. Prior to recording this podcast, Tim was able to give me a tour of the new ICU that his firm, G. Green, had just completed at Lowell General. We talk a lot about this project in the podcast, so I've included some pictures on the website. And actually, we recorded the podcast at Lowell General, so at a few points, you're going to hear some announcements over the intercom, and at one point, a lullaby is played, which indicates that a new baby has just been born. So that's kind of auspicious for this particular interview. I just want to say thanks to the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives for their ongoing support of the podcast. And also, if you find this podcast interesting and useful, won't you leave us a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you happen to download your podcasts? It helps other people find us. So without further ado, thanks for listening. And here is Tim King. Welcome to The Forge, Tim. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. So you went to Stonehill College in Easton, Mass., and you got a bachelor's degree in economics and with a business minor. What drew you to Stonehill and why business? Well... I went to Stonehill because a couple of the people that I went to high school with uh, went to Stonehill. It was a, a popular place, and I knew of it. It was far enough away from home, uh, but close enough away, close enough to home, so that uh, it worked out very well for me uh, logistically. Um, I applied to a few places. I uh, got into Stonehill, got into a couple of other places. I didn't get into BC, which would have been my first choice. And uh, Stonehill was a, a great small Catholic school that I, I enjoyed immensely, and I'm glad I went. All right. And what was the interest in economics and business? Well, I, I had taken some economics classes in high school, actually, and I did very well. So as a young high schooler without a tremendous amount on the ball as far as my future, uh, I was drawn to what I knew and drawn to what I enjoyed and what, what I did well at. When I went to Stonehill, I did not declare a major, but everyone had to take economics classes, and I did very, very well, and other students found it tremendously challenging. Uh, so I figured I'd stick with that, and, and I knew I'd always be in business. My father was a business person, and I, I enjoyed different levels of business at least. I was able to rule out several majors. It's not interesting. Uh, so I, uh, it, was, it just kind of fell into place. All right. So after graduation, you went to work for A.J. Lane and & Company and King Guanxi Development. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that organization. Well, uh, that was uh, my father was uh, former governor of Massachusetts, and uh, he uh, after uh, he was a governor, and I got out of high school and college, he was went to work with a real estate developer, and they did uh, very well. And, and I was with my father, uh, sort of an executive assistant type role, and he wanted me to to learn and see and, and get exposure to different uh, levels of business. And, and I wanted to kind of hang around with him, which was fun. 
and uh, we uh, it was uh, it, it was a great experience business wise, and it was a great experience uh, personally for for my father and myself. After being four years a governor, we, we were able to really spend a lot of time together. Uh, and King Guanxi Development was my, uh, uh, an offshoot of that one company with a, a business partner Tony Guanxi in uh, in California, who was actually. Uh, former road manager for the band Boston oh, wow. when they were the number one act in the okay. United States for two years running. And they did some real estate development out there, which was, again, uh, extremely exciting and big-time business. And it was just sort of the few of us. Uh, and I was, you know, the kid uh, doing all the running around. And uh, it was uh, it, it really kind of, uh, kind of forged my path into construction and my desire to be in construction and my, uh, you know, just how it went. So were you exposed to construction at that point? Were you planning, helping planning or observing the planning? Well, you know, there, the was, there was a lot of development. There's, of course, finding land, finding tenants, getting the architect, designing the building, building the building, and, and, and building it on budget. So there was a lot of meetings with the architect, with the design, trying to keep it within budget, line items uh, on the budget, different, making different choices, you know, different mock-ups, different uh, materials, and so forth. And I found it all very fascinating. I, I understood it. I understood it from the very beginning, so I enjoyed it well. I enjoyed it enough. So you, you stayed in, in that field. So as you said, you, you had an early exposure to construction, and you, you went to uh, Modern Continental Construction in Cambridge um, in 1999. Yeah. What, what, what drove you to make the jump from working with uh, your father's firm to, to going to Modern Con Continental? Well, I, I wanted to, to have my own thing after okay. a little while. Working with my dad was fine, but uh, having a boss and a dad and, and you know, a little bit of a, a micromanagement was uh, uh -huh. becoming less attractive. <laughs> and, and it was okay. My father understood, and, and he was starting to not slow down a little bit, but spend more time in Florida running, running his, his business. Uh, and so I went to Modern Continental, and Modern Continental at the time was the uh, self-performing building the big dig. Oh, okay. So that was right in the thick of things. Wow. And, and they did the work themselves. They weren't just managing. They weren't an engineer. They were a hardcore, heavy civil construction firm doing the work. Okay. And that was uh, exciting as well. You know, I keep saying that word, but that's what attracts me is, is, is the action of, yeah. of construction. And there was some massive massive and incredibly wonderfully engineered projects and, and difficult, close to impossible. One, one person said one time, the big dig was like giving someone a heart transplant while they were running a marathon. <laughs> and, and, you know, that stuck to me because the things that we were doing, and I started off in the purchasing department and then moved into the business development department. The things that we were doing there were, uh, were extraordinary and, uh, and uh, you know, the, the, really the, the toast of the town at the time of Boston. So for folks who might be listening to this uh, podcast outside of the New England area, what's the big dig? Well, I and thought everybody knew what the big dig was because <laughs> it was a national project. Sure. It was a, uh, uh, a project that started out as a $4 billion budget that ballooned to $14 billion, which is why I think most of the people in the nation heard about it. But it was a basically taking the streets and the, the central artery, traffic artery of Boston, which was elevated through the city, and depressing it underground. So basically putting the entire uh, highway system underground through the city of Boston, as well as creating a third tunnel under Boston Harbor, uh, as well as many other ancillary and supportive projects. Uh, so it was a $16 billion heavy civil highway exceptionally impactful project in the city of Boston. Wow. And so you mentioned that you eventually moved into business development. What is business development? Business development is sales. Okay. 
Business development is creating, finding business opportunities uh, for a construction firm. You don't sell a product, you sell your abilities, which is why it's not really called sales. It's, it's more business development. It's beating the bushes, developing business, finding opportunities, finding out where projects are, and then getting or enabling your particular firm to be, to participate, to be considered for that project, to participate, and hopefully, ultimately, to win the project. And when you say participate, you mean participating in the bid or? Participating in the bid or the procurement or the negotiation. They're gonna choose someone to, to build the project. Uh -huh. And they're gonna look at a few firms to, to, to choose someone. Okay. And you wanna be on that long list, and then you wanna go to the short list, and then you wanna go to the interview, and then you wanna get the job, you wanna get the call. Okay. okay. And uh, so, you know, business development, a lot of it is research, a lot of it is finding out where the jobs are, where the clients are that are coming out with work. Uh, researching how to create a relationship with that particular client and, 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 and introducing and, and introducing your qualifications for the project and, uh, and to a point of being considered where others might not be. So you were with Modern Continental for about five years mm -hmm. and then you moved on to William A. Berry and Son um, and Bear, uh, a division of Suffolk um, in Danvers and you are the director of business development for the healthcare division. Correct. I, I went to work for Berry. Berry wasn't always a division of Suffolk. Berry okay. was absorbed by Suffolk. But what happened was that Modern Continental, when the big dig slowed down, Modern Continental slowed down. And when Modern Continental slowed down, some financial difficulties happened and, and, and basically Modern Continental was absorbed by uh, another company. Um, which was fine, but it was time to move on. And uh, Barry was a, a, not a civil company. Barry was not a tunnel bridge, okay. uh, surge treatment plant company. Barry was a building firm that did vertical construction of buildings. And they had a specialty with healthcare. And it was very close to my house as well. So, but uh, that really didn't go into it as far as I can remember. It just worked out that way. And I, I had created quite a system for business development for tracking and monitoring projects and tracking clients and tracking different contacts with them. Most people call that a, a CRM now. Okay. Uh, it wasn't as popular back then, so I created my own. And when I went to Barry for an interview, they really responded to what, how I attacked a potential project or potential client, and they, they, they knew and we both knew instantly that it would be a good match. Although I had never done healthcare and didn't know anything more okay. about healthcare than than I should have. Okay. But they knew that they, they knew that it would work. They knew that I could learn uh, it, and they thought that it might be better to kind of grow someone in that in that field organically rather than have someone come in with with uh, uh, traits or knowledge uh, of a plan already. So uh, it was a tremendous place to work, a wonderful place to work, a wonderful character of company, a wonderful people. And, and it's, it's the manner that they approached clients was, was very conducive to the way I approach people in life. So it w worked out very well. And I introduced myself to the healthcare world. I had construction knowledge. Uh, and I went at it. And we went, in the, in the period of time I was there, went from $200 million a year to $650 million a year wow. in healthcare. We were really the premier healthcare construction firm in New England at the time. Wow. What's the difference between, so you said um, you worked at Modern Continental uh, and you said those, that was a civil firm, so they did yes. 
Bridges and roads and big... Bridges and tunnels and roads and underground and heavy civil and big machinery yeah. and, and, and that type of work. Sewage treatment plants, yeah. airport type work, heavy big civil work. And now you're transitioning to hospitals and healthcare organizations. Correct. So how, what was that change like for you? Well, it was a completely different type of client. The, the municipal, the, the, the heavy civil work were municipal clients in, okay. in some manner. Mm -hmm. They were states, they were agencies, they were, uh, you know, like Massport or the authorities like the MWRA or the MBTA. Uh, so they were uh, strictly bid type projects and just apply for the documents and fill out the blanks and give a number and, and we'll see how you do. The relationship building wasn't really part of it. To some degree it was. Of course, you had to have your partners in the architecture and in the engineering world, and you had to be on the right teams. But the client was a municipal client. Mm -hmm. And now we're dealing with institutional clients who have, um, who have executives, who have directors, who have boards, who have people that you can talk to and, and try to create a relationship with people who can make decisions uh, not necessarily based on lowest bid uh, because they want the best value, they want what's best for their institution. So these, they have more flexibility by Much not more, being part of the government. More flexibility to make decisions based on values and to choose people that they like. Of course money always plays into it. They're, sure. not, they're, not, they're not fiscally irresponsible. Right. But they're uh, much more relationship driven because they need people that are going to be work with them, work with their facility, work with their institution, work with their staff, and, and, and to uh, treat them gently and treat them properly and treat them honestly because uh, institutions don't have armies of people to monitor projects and monitor finances and monitor the materials chosen where a municipality would. Uh, so they had to be able to put much more faith in who they were choosing uh, because most of them have been through bad jobs and good jobs. Okay. So what was kind of the biggest learning curve for you making that jump from the civil side to the healthcare world? Well, healthcare, I had to learn what healthcare was, you yeah. know, and, and healthcare is, a, is a, an incredibly sophisticated and focused industry with its own language, its own problems, its own difficulties. You know, most people can understand putting up a strip mall uh, or, or putting up an office building, but a hospital construction has so many different uh, intricacies and, and people involved and reasons for doing so. And healthcare itself has so many different factors that go into it. And, and, and at the end of the line is uh, the facility itself. And so to really learn the healthcare industry and what my clients were going through and what their focuses were beyond me, because they weren't focused on me really. They, they, once in a while they would be. But what was really driving their decisions, what was, what was keeping them up at night, and how I could help, how I might be able to help, or how I thought I could help. So it really took a lot of time, and also the amount of different clients throughout New England, and the different characteristics of each hospital or each healthcare system. It was, well, you say it's a full-time job. Of course it was a full-time job, but it, was, uh, it took a few years to really become knowledgeable in everything that I needed to be knowledgeable at. And then, of course, at the same time, I'm trying to be good at it right. and not just knowledgeable. Right. Because there was competition. You know, there sure. were some other great builders. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it, was, it was a ball. I was, 
I tell people I was made for that job, and I really was, and, and, and luckily I still am. So what was it about you that you were made for the job? You get a lot of rejection. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you, you, you have to be able to be personable and to be able to have intelligent conversations while working your way towards what I wanted to talk about. Uh, you have to be intelligent enough to investigate and to research and to find, successfully research, uh, what you're looking for. Um, you, had to be, you had to be personable enough and, and, and to, to deal with the rest of the industry because before there's construction, there's engineering, and before there's engineering, there's architecture, and before that, there's planning. So to work with all of those industries and make friends there and deal with the right people while having to deal with all the people and to kind of put together my list of knowledge of, of what the pipeline's coming up. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 it is, there's only you know, 10, 12 hours in a day that I could do this. And it took all of that for years and years before I could really, you know, and, and I've never really got it because it's always perpetually changing. Right. But like I said, I, I enjoyed it immensely and, and I enjoyed the people. Uh, you know, taking rejection is, is not easy. And it wasn't easy for me, losing jobs, getting the call, we didn't get a job. And, and, and that would upset me. It would upset yeah. me. I, I, it was like a belly punch for, for one or two or three days, depending on the size of the job. And, and the, the ability to bounce back and the desire to get the fire back to go get the next one because there's nothing like winning a big job. Sure. You know, to, to get down the hall and tell everyone you got it and, 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 and to be able to really provide the business that the company needs and that the payroll needs and the employees need for the next two years is, is, is a great feeling. And, and honestly, one of the greater feelings that I had was for the institutions that now chose us. Yeah. Because everything that I said about my company was going to come true for them. And they were going to have a great project because I helped them choose the right company. Yeah. And, and, and I could be part of that. One of our projects, Bay State Medical Center, uh, the new, um, well, the hospital of the future, they called it, and, and, and the emergency department and so forth, won a VISTA award, which is the highest award in construction that a, com uh, a, a hospital can win. And there's only three categories and only one cat one winner in each category in the entire country per year uh -huh. there's new construction there's renovation and then there's uh, mechanical okay. HVAC and uh, we won for new construction and so that's it's, it's the highest honor that, that could have been bestowed on on anybody nationally and we won that project and of course the people that executed the work on the project really really won it and the right. people that designed it really really won it but I was part of it, yeah. and, and I was I was there on decision day, and and I was you know fighting to make the right move for them, which was to choose our company, of course, yeah. and and we won that award because my company did it, you know, and that was my responsibility. So I, the people that were up on stage winning that award or accepting that award, the four or five people, I was intimately involved with with them, and I was very proud, and and I. Uh, I have that, uh, that award in, in, in my desk at home, and I feel very, very, very proud of that. Tell, um, let, let me just add, yeah. I feel very proud of that because of what that hospital means. What it means to the staff that works at the, at, at the hospital, what that new facility, what that new portion of the facility means. What it means to the patients that are running through that, what it means to that community. You know, that puts me, that puts me personally, I'll be selfish, on the map for yeah. having counted in something, you know, something big, something important. Yeah. 
that must be one of the rewarding parts of working on things like constructions. You can you can really see the tangible outcome of the work. You can, you can, and 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 to be part of it is great. And and to go buy buildings that I lost and got built, it hurts, you know. Uh, <laughs> a perpetual uh, reminder. <laughs> in the building that we're sitting in right now, yeah. uh, we lost a project, uh-huh. and and. And I met the CEO of the hospital outside one day as the project was going. We were talking about another project. As the project that I lost was going up. And I pointed to the construction, to the steel. And I said, I'll tell you something, Jody. Looking at that project goes through me like a spear. I'm happy for you. I'm glad you'll have a great project. It will be great. They're a good firm. But it goes through me like a spear that we didn't get it. And he understood what I meant, that I wanted it, that I wanted to do that project for him, yeah. that I wanted our company to perform for him. Now, of course, it's a great feeling and gives me great swagger to run down the hall and we got this one, I brought this one in. Right. Of course, it's a professional satisfaction, but, yeah. I, but on a personal level, it's a, it's a much deeper thing. Yeah, I, I think one of the things that's kind of scary about business development and sales is the rejection. I think that's what keeps most people just envision having to deal with the rejection over and over again. It's a tremendous amount of fear, and, yeah. and most people don't like it, and most people are afraid to cold call or knock on the door or just investigate. And, and I tell myself, or I told myself early on enough times so that I got past it, that I'm trying to help that institution make a great decision. Even if I'm not chosen, I'm there to raise the bar for the other folks that are going to be in the room. Yeah. And that will help the institution. And that helps me with, okay, they can, they can reject me, and that's their mistake, I'll call it. You know, it's, <laughs> right, uh, you know, of it's, it's, you know uh, but I'm uh, more confident than not. But it's, it's, at least I've given them the shot to, to make decisions and information to make better informed decisions. Yeah. I'm part of the industry. I'm part of, the, I'm part of their healthcare industry. I'm part of their process. And I want to be as much of a resource to them as possible, whether it's, whether it's a 100% resource and, and they choose the firm, or it's a, a 25% resource as in we give them information to help them make the right choice or a different choice, or however I can be a resource. Or sometimes I tell them we wanna be friends first. If you, have, if you have numbers you wanna bounce off us, if you're thinking of a project and you wanna take a look at constructability or how it would work or maybe schedule review or, or safety, uh, how safety would work or maybe the flow of a project, We'll be glad to talk to them. We'll be glad to talk to them and go over it with them. And, and if we're friends, the business will follow. So you, you mentioned a minute ago, so we're sitting here in, in Lowell General uh, Hospital, and we're going to talk a little bit about a job you did in a little bit. But your Redemption. <laughs> exactly right. So, so it's interesting. I mean, you lost a job, as you said, to this hos- in this hospital. Mm-hmm. You would have been in this hospital. Um, but you just, you just executed one. So the, the opportunities kind of come, come, come back up again. Right? Yes, They're, sometimes, yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, sometimes they do. I mean, you, you know, the bigger the institution, the more opportunities they're going to have. You mm-hmm. know, and, and, and a lot of folks that will be listening to this, to this uh, interview will, will have a small community hospital that may have a project every five years. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of that has to do with what, what they need uh, and what they, what they can afford. Uh, and, and a combination of, of the both of them together. Uh, but uh, some of the larger institutions, like maybe Lowell General or Circle Health, 
or, or even some of the downtown hospitals. Uh, some of the downtown hospitals that, that my company works at has a steady churn of small projects and a, and a regular churn of medium projects and a, uh, a, a, a consistent you know, flow of, of bigger projects as well. So it's great to do an interview, as, they, as, as the people in Lean call it, uh, at the Gemba. Go to where the work is. Yeah. You know? Yep. <clears throat> uh, okay. <laughs> you were with Barry um, for about six years, and then you moved on to Jones Lang LaSalle. Yeah. And you were the vice president for healthcare for the New England region? Yes. So tell us a little bit about that. What was the, what, what made you made to the jump? Well, there? what happened was Barry was bought by Suffolk. Suffolk okay. was a, 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 the, the big player, the big construction firm in Boston, and they, they had a difficulty in establishing their own healthcare practice, and they wanted to be in healthcare. And uh, eventually they got sick of beating their head against the wall and, and bought Barry, okay. which was really uh, a clash of, uh, of uh, characters, uh, the type of characteristics of, a, of, a, of a, uh, you know, the institutions that we, had, that we were in, a clash of the companies. You couldn't get any different, almost. And so it worked for a while, and then it, uh, and then it you know, it, different people phased in and out, and, and I, I phased out. I had an opportunity to go to Jones Lang LaSalle and basically start their healthcare practice here in the city of Boston. Okay. And that was a, a, a great, great opportunity, too, because Jones Lang LaSalle is a, a, a real estate company and a real estate brokerage and a real estate investment firm, and they just wanted into the healthcare market. But what they offered were, were a menu of different services. I mean, they had a construction division, uh, but they also offered financing and investment into healthcare institutions. They offered lease type analysis and portfolio analysis and, and real estate type analysis uh, that, that healthcare institutions sorely needed. They offered a real menu of different real estate focused and finance focused services healthcare institutions. So I, I enjoyed that because most, at the time, most healthcare institutions were a little bit lacking in, in that level of sophistication and, and there was a, a lot of low-hanging fruit. There was a lot of um, bottom line that could be affected by different uh, real estate strategic uh, changes of thinking. Wow, okay, so you said they had a menu of, of, of services that they would offer. But you said you were you were building their healthcare line. Was that just here in, in New England, or did they already have a healthcare line and they and they wanted to extend it to New England, or were you introducing healthcare to the organization? Jones Lang LaSalle is a global firm, okay, and okay. certainly a national firm, and they had a few healthcare specialists throughout the country, but they were starting. They wanted to become more healthcare. Centric or have a bigger healthcare presence and cover a bigger cover the market with with all of their services. So I was I was unique in Boston, and and there were only one or two others in the country that they were trying this sort of model out with. Uh, so when I'd secure a, a an inquiry or a project with a particular service line, someone would fly in and do that. Someone would fly in from Dallas and do portfolio analysis. Okay. Someone would fly in from Denver and do financing analysis and MOB, a medical office building uh, sort of investment and, or monetization. Okay. Uh, we were involved with the, with the disposal, I'll call it, of the, of the main, the, 
the old Maine General Hospital up in Bangor, Maine. No, Augusta, Maine, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, and, and that was interesting because they were building a new hospital and they didn't know what to do with the old one. And it was only good for a hospital because it was already built for that reason. Sure. And, and, and they were the hospital, so they didn't need it. And so nobody <laughs> needed the building. Right. Uh, and, and honestly, at the time, the, the, the region wasn't exactly robust with real estate development activity. Um, and so we were involved in how to, how to manage their the disposition of the building. Sure. And, so a, a, a hospital, uh, the, the hospital board and the hospital management probably doesn't have that in their skill set. They don't. They didn't at all, and especially something at that level. Yeah. You know, and you know, a, a lot of, a lot of hospitals have not since because I don't want to infer that it was us that started the trend, but but since then, a lot more hospitals have developed a real estate officer at some level okay. in the uh, in the upper staff, uh, because it is such a valuable. All of the assets have so much value, and there's everyone's trying to squeeze the lemon a little bit a little bit more. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of efficiencies that can be found in the real estate, whereas most hospital administrations are thinking clinical. And, and they look at the hospital, and they look at the nurses, and they look at the docs, and they look at the patients, and they look at the payments, and they look at the how many steps does it take, and how, many, how can we be more efficient with the flow, and they're not thinking, why don't we look at the real estate leases and tighten them up? Why don't we look at better, better location analysis so that we're not wasting our time or our money in, in, in you know, 75% efficient locations, things like that. Uh, so it was, uh, it was eye-opening to a lot of people. Okay. It was good. Yeah. So you were with um, uh, Jones Lang LaSalle uh, for a couple of years, and then you did wind up back with Suffolk. Well, Jones Lang LaSalle uh, kept on getting more and more business, and the Boston office was being successful. And, and as a brokerage firm, they decided to, to, to go national. Okay. Uh, and uh, there was, uh, it was going to be out of Chicago, and there was some who's paying what and how, you know, because each, each office is, is, is responsible for their own, you know, profit and loss. It's, okay. it's run like a brokerage company. Okay. And at that point, things got a lot hairier for me yeah. uh, as far as Chicago goes, and uh, yeah. I wasn't going to move there. Right. Uh, so we, uh, I made the decision to go back into... Uh, Go back into I, I, I moved back uh, temporarily to Suffolk, okay. who had wanted me and was kind of wooing me to come back, and, yeah. and uh, I was available, so I did. I went back there, uh, and then eventually, you know, started my own business development firm. So, so um, sorry if I jumped the gun. No, on no, that's there. great. Yeah. No, no, I, I, and we'll get to that in a sec. Um, I, one of the thoughts I had was, as you were saying. Um, uh, Jones Lang LaSalle wanted to move you out to Chicago. Is, I mean, you're a, your roots run deep here in Yes, in absolutely. Yes. And, 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 and I had children at the time, too, that were very young, and it yeah. wasn't going to happen. So, but, but a lot of kind of what you've described to me, it, 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 the, the value, a lot of the value that you've built over the years is, are your relationships with and, and your history in the right. area. So jumping to Chicago would kind of pull you out of that. It would have, and, and you know, I, I don't want to shed too ugly a light on it, but, but some of the decisions that a national brokerage firm mm -hmm. made mm -hmm. uh, were made by folks that grew up as, in the national brokerage firm as brokers and, and they, in profit and loss centers and things like that, and they weren't necessarily based on, you know, the areas that they were based on. And, and uh, it just, it didn't make sense to me, and it didn't make sense to 
a lot of other people, yeah. but it was the way that it was going to go. Okay. So that was the uh, the end of it for me. Okay. So you did go to Suffolk for a couple of years, and back then, to Suffolk, yeah. And then and then um, you launched your own business. Yes. Uh, your own business development. What what made you decide to to do that? To to jump from being part of a larger organization to kind of doing your own thing. Well, what made me decide to do that was the gnawing. The constant gnawing of of uh, wanting to do my own thing, and yeah. I think I think most people have it, uh, yeah. uh, and some people have it to a uh, a larger extent. That 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 little voice inside, or uh, that sort of when you when you're lying in bed at night thinking about doing your own thing, yeah. having your own business, uh, and um, and that was always there. And I always knew, and I've said it earlier in the podcast that uh, you know I was born for this job, and business development would be. Uh, is really what I do best and what I what I can what I what I can do very successfully, uh, and I thought about you know a business development agency that worked for different clients, and and you know there's a difference between between having a full time employee and having no employee to help you with business, and every every single business and firm needs sales. Right. You know whether it's a, a big uh, widget manufacturer or whether it's the 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 the, the sort of uh, crunchy sort of down to earth cabinet maker in Vermont. Without sales, y- y- you're nowhere. So you know sometimes salespeople get a bad rap. So I like to kind of personalize it like that. But if I could be a part time resource to firms to do business development for them. And it was specific in the, in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry, and again, specific more to healthcare. There'd be plenty of firms out there that couldn't afford a full-time employee but needed someone. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I found three uh, clients right away that weren't competing with each other. There was a, a construction firm, an architecture firm, and a subcontracting HVAC firm. And uh, it worked out very well. You know, I, I made the pricing model. I, I didn't lose one client I ever went on an interview with. Uh, and I only went on three. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, it worked out very well. And, and my, my desire was to have other people working for me and have other clients and have sort of an agency. Yeah. Uh, what ended up happening was I was always doing the work and always concentrating on what I was doing and, and didn't take weeks off to sort of develop the business. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had a, a great time and other people responded and they wanted me to do work for them. The other thing is I, I needed to have people that would do it like I would. Yeah. I wasn't gonna just farm out for the sake of getting clients. I, I knew what I had to do when I wanted it to be successful. Yeah. And it was, but one of my clients, G Green Construction, had a little bit more that they could use me for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as things changed over the few years that I was doing this, I was spending more time at Green. And then we were talking about maybe coming on full-time and doing more for them. And uh, so that's how it happened. There was no problem with the other two clients. Uh, no fireworks. I'm still very friendly with them, of course. Uh, but I'm friendly with everyone in the industry now, yeah. uh, as opposed to just them. And, and I work for Green. Okay. So, so, are you are you uh, still your own entity and and working for Green? I no, no, no. I'm I'm a full time employee for G Green Construction. Yes, yes. I've I've gone back to working as a business development person for a construction firm. Okay. Now, is were the three companies that you were working with were they all healthcare specific or were they more general? 
uh, you well, said the architecture. The, the, well, G. Green was, of course, and the uh, architect that I worked for, Margulis Peruzzi architect, was, um, architects, excuse me, was, uh, was specifically for the healthcare practice. Okay. Uh, but again, limited to, to uh, one a day a week. Okay. You know, our, our quarter of my time, yeah. which, is, which is good, but it's not enough time, I don't think. And, and my, expectation, my expectations of my own performance were full-time expectations. And I was only working quarter time. Uh, yeah. So uh, it, was, it was slower than I, than I liked. It was, they seemed to, to be fine. And yeah. uh, we got some good clients and we got some business and, and helped establish them in the, in the healthcare field, which was great. And, and they're still going very well with it, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, it was it was it was a different type of model, yeah. You know, and and they're fine now, and uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Okay, so we haven't talked a lot about the specifics of of, a, of running a project, but let's say, um, you know, now that you're working with 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 Green, let's say you. And we, maybe we can talk specifically about sure. the, the project here at, at Lowell as an example. Absolutely. So how did you go about getting the project? Well, you go about getting a project, it's a, it's a long process. You, 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 you go about not getting projects a lot more than you go about getting projects. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, to go about getting a successful project, you have to spend time in the healthcare world. And so I'm... I've described myself as a healthcare guy that does construction, or maybe a construction guy that does healthcare. Uh, it's 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 really the two are intertwined because I spend a lot of my time in healthcare organizations, healthcare associations, healthcare events, healthcare presentations, and I do that because I need to one know what's going on in the industry so that I can I can better better talk with my clients or better understand my clients, and, and also the folks that are going to be making decisions and the folks with information on projects and what they're going to be doing are at those events. And so it helps me to create relationships and say hello and, and know them and, and be a resource to them and, and ask them specifically, what do you have coming up? What about that ED project? So, you know, it takes a lot of uh, tracking of projects, knowledge of the projects, tracking the projects, and, and, and trying to make sure that you have an opportunity to, to participate uh, or to be considered. Mm-hmm. And so on this particular project, I... I I uh, talked with a, a friend of mine that works here at the hospital, and he told me that it was coming up. So what I did was we put together uh, G. Green's. It was an ICU project, intensive care unit. And what I did was I put together Green's experience on ICUs, and I sent a letter to, to him uh, and to the other folks in the administration saying, hey, would I call it a, 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 a request for consideration. Okay. And uh, we're, we're G. Green. We currently have an ICU going uh, at one facility. Uh, here is our list of recent ICU projects. If you'd like to, we can talk to you about pricing or about current trends or about what we've found lessons learned or what other this, how people are making decisions. And they took us up on that and we had a few conversations and so we became an expert in ICU construction where I think the last ICU was, was, was built in the 70s. So no one was an expert on ICU. A lot of experts on ICUs, mm-hmm. but not really on ICU construction. construction. So we were able to help them and get ourselves uh, onto the list, certainly, of considered firms. And then we uh, you know, did a wonderful job of, of, of uh, proposing our team and proposing the freight fee and, and proposing the, the, uh, a, a secure fee or a comfortable and, and, and relatively 
you know, you have to be able to count on the number. Well, what, uh, so you said you proposed the team. So I, I, I wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Does Green, ha- uh, does Green use external, external uh, uh, companies like an architect? Do they have no, everything? Is it, no, actually, it, have, it, they're generally separate. Se- they're generally okay. run as separate procurements. First, the architect, first the planner, which is sometimes inside and sometimes outside, will be chosen okay. to help the hospital find out what they need. Do they need it? How big do they need it? How much throughput will they need? How many patients do they need to see? And break that down to how many beds they'll need. You know, it's it's that it's that it's that mathematical. Yeah. Now it's a heck of a lot more complicated than that. But you can break it down to eventually they're going to find out how much square footage, how many more beds, how many more ORs, uh, how many more ICU beds, how many more regular beds, whatever the case may be. They'll, how much more stations in an ED they'll need, and that's the planning. And then the architect will come in, and sometimes the architect will help with that planning. But then they'll the architect will draw it up and say, if you do it this way, it will. It will, it will cost this much. If you do it that way, it will cost that much. And you try to stay within the budget or the character or the tone of the institution, and, and certainly you stay within their budget, and also maintain the scope of the project, what they need. And so the architect will draw that up, and then they'll be able to go to the market and ask for construction input. Here's what we're planning on doing. Here's some initial designs. How can you do this? What would you say is, a, is a, an approach to this project? The constructability of the project? Because building in a healthcare institution is a lot different than building in an open, open space, building a, a Walmart. Mm-hmm. The impacts for, um, for space requirements, for laydown of construction materials, for uh, dust uh, control, dust mitigation, debris removal, uh, demolition, odors, uh, sound, uh, you know, noise mitigation right. are all, are all have to be considered. Infection control has to be considered. Especially in this case because the the project that you were doing was in a functioning hospital that had patients and It was beyond a functioning hospital. The area that we were doing was right below a functioning intensive care unit. Okay. You know, we were drilling into that intensive care unit from below. (laughs) With patients in the intensive care unit. With patients there, yeah. Yeah. And and, and so obviously they are the most critical and most compromised health-wise of patients. And also they are the most compromised psychologically and emotionally. Sure. And their families are, are, are compromised emotionally as well. And that all has to be taken into effect taken into care. So you, when we propose, we propose how we're going to do this while minimizing or mitigating all of those different impacts. And then we propose a team. When I said team, I meant our team. Yeah. You know, the project executive, the project okay. manager, the superintendent. Okay. And they're the people that are going to be controlling your site. They're the people that are going to be either giving your doctors, your nurses, your patients a punch in the face or, or, or letting them down gently. Yeah, you know, because either way, a construction project is going to have to have impact. It's people intrusive. Under, people right. understand yeah, that. And so, uh, my firm specializes in construction. Okay. Uh, excuse me, healthcare construction. Okay. Uh, and and we self perform a lot of our own work too, which some firms hire all subs. They construction. They manage. The construction. Okay. We manage the construction as well as self-perform a lot of the more impactful uh, uh, segments of construction. We don't demolish space; we dismantle space. And when we do dismantling, we have ten sets of eyes on the project, not just one. You know, so so we can make a, a much stronger case and a much more applicable case for why we'd we'd be better for a project 
than some other firms. Well, we like to think that. You yeah. know, of course, I'm working. Uh, you know, I, sure. I want to. I, I yeah. can't resist turning my own horn. Right. Uh, but. Sure. You know, we, we did a good job. We presented yeah. our team, and, and, and generally in a case like this, you have to go to the interview. They want to make sure that what you say is what you mean. Yeah. And, and that's where the warmth and the trueness or the truth of your team comes through. And, and a lot of times, firms will be in the ballpark for rate, will be in the ballpark for budget, but it's where the chemistry is and who the, project, who the, who the uh, administration is going to be comfortable with handing over their hospital Right. And, and their ICU and, and their staff into the hands of someone else, uh, and, and they have to make that right move. And, and sometimes it's dictated by, by budget, which is, which is difficult because everyone has to be responsible to budget, but sometimes you, you, know, you can't do the best job for the lowest amount of money. You, you can't. Right. You know? And so they have to find that medium, and, and we're, in that, we're in that medium somewhere where we're going to be uh, the best choice for the hospital. Or you, you try to... You, the hospital has to make the best choice for the hospital and you try to choose the best firm. Yeah. So let me just back, kind of continuing in my thought process there. So when you were bidding for the construction portion, had the planning and then the architect portions already been done? Yes. Okay. Yes, and and generally they're half done before the next person comes in. Okay. You know, because because the architect is going to have a lot of input into the planning process because they're going to be drawing it. And they have experience, and they could say, "Well, you can't do it this way because if this wall goes here, there's a support over there, right. and the whole HVTA system comes from this direction. So you might want to reverse it, right. or, or something simple like that." Okay. And when the architect is is not even half done, uh, the construction firm should be chosen, so that the construction firm can say, "Well, here's what the budgets look like, and you're getting out of control, and you might want to try it this way." Also, constructability and safety and infection control. It's going to be the construction firm's responsibility. So when the architect is half done or or less than half done, it's better to have the construction firm chosen and to be part of the process because they'll have a tremendous amount what the budget might be at that point and constructability, how to approach the project, what sort of uh, things things need to be considered as far as infection control, interim life safety, and, and how the systems, the mechanical systems, the electrical systems, the plumbing systems will be installed and sometimes architecture might change to make it for a better project or an easier project. So everyone kind of overlaps a little bit. It's not a cut and dry. Again, getting back to that municipal model that we talked about earlier, when it's, it's the design, done, bid, done, then build. Uh-huh. Well, it's, it's a construction firm can't say, we can do this better. We, have, we could have had some input when it's already designed. You just bid it and build it. You know, so it's a lot more collaborative process that you can do when it's in an institutional setting. Interesting. This project was a um, ICU project. So let's talk about kind of what you came into and, and what you what you actually what, what Green actually did. Okay. Okay. Uh, I will, and I know, and but I will say that as the business development person, I'm generally out in front of the project. Okay. Really far. I go where we're not. Right, and and then when I hand the project over, there's there's you know twenty or thirty people that can handle it without sure. my without my uh, need, but what we came into was you you get the call and you've won the project and fantastic, and then you have a kickoff meeting with the user groups in the hospital, the administration in the hospital. The user groups are the ICU nurses, the ICU docs, and and the architect, and you tell 
you start to warn everybody, this is what's going to happen, this is how long it's going to take, this is how it will be phased, and this, these, are, these are the times of the impact. And, and that will break down, of course, to when you actually start and you have two-week look-aheads and you schedule everything, all of the impacts with the people that are there doing the work because they're the ones that are going to be impacted. And they're the ones that tell you to shut down sometimes because there's a particular situation, a sensitive, a sensitive situation going on. Uh, and then, you know, really it's just a matter of, of managing a construction project with, like a lot of other projects get managed, but we've already got the right team and the, and the right people. So you, uh, you know, like any other project, you start with some dismantling and, and yeah. you get your equipment in and you get your, your materials in and you hire all of the subcontractors, the mechanical, the electrical, the plumbing, the flooring, the ceiling, the outside site people, the glass people. And, um, so these are not people who are on the team, on the green team, permanently. They're, right. They're, what we do is what we subs. do is we put those pieces out to bid. Those are the subcontractors, and okay. and we'll try to get three, five, seven bids on each, and we'll sit down with the hospital and choose who we want to do business with. Now, Lowell General Hospital is a, is a tremendous presence in the community, and certainly wants to make sure that the business goes to people in the community. As the construction firm responsible for the construction for the project for the outcome of the project, we have to be we have to be considerate of the of the outcome of the project of the quality of the project, and that doesn't necessarily mean the local guy all the time. There might not be a a, a healthcare focused person with enough size and expertise locally. So sometimes we have to go outside of that area. The hospital also makes the decisions. Again, we work with them to make these decisions on budget. You know, sometimes you can choose the cheapest guy in every category and end up with the cheapest, ca cheapest project, but it's not necessarily the best value of the best project. Yeah. So you have to help make those decisions as to what's the, what's the best company to do this particular segment of the work. Now, we've already estimated the project, and we've estimated it through a couple of different phases of design, and so we know where it's going to end up, basically, and you can... So you're in the right ballpark, but again, choosing the right subs, and it's workability too. You have to be able to choose the subs that know how to build in a healthcare environment, and and there's going to be labor harmony. You know, you can't choose someone that's going to come in here and and and, and you know beat everybody up and and not care about the next guy that's before them or the next person that's next to them or the woman that come comes after them. You have to choose someone who's going to be again collaborative and a team member and work for the common goal of what the hospital needs to get done. I, um, sorry, lost my train of thought. That blew you away, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, did, did, did. Fantastic. Um, so I, I, I mean, I, I, I'll, I'd like to maybe get a couple of pictures of, of the of the facility to put on the on the website when we're done. Sure. Uh, but uh, we have photos that we yeah, can provide. Yeah, that, that yeah. is. It, it really was a beautiful. So we walked through before we started recording, and it was. It's a beautiful. Um, uh, ICU and it's got a really unique design. So maybe we could talk a little bit about about that. Well, it does have a unique design, and it, it just happened to be the character of of the uh, of the institution before we showed up. They there is a requirement. There's there's in Massachusetts at least, and I'm sure in every state has some some uh, office of DPW DPH Department of Public Health, and they monitor hospital construction and the CON, which is the Certificate of Need, or the DON, Determination of Need process, which is what a hospital has to apply to get the okay to go ahead with the project. For instance, if there's two hospitals in a town and one hospital just built a 20-bed ICU, the next hospital would not be able to apply for a 20-bed ICU. 
there's, they, they were determined that there's enough hospital, enough ICU space, or something like that. But they, they monitor that pretty regularly, and they also monitor sizes and, and, and sizes as in floor sizes, room sizes, uh, temperatures, and, and all sorts of other uh, integral components of, of the atmosphere of the, of the hospital, of the, of, the, of the care area. And one of those is natural light. And in our state, at least, the DPH demands that there's natural light to add to the healing environment in an ICU room, which means a window. You gotta have an outside window. You can't have it down in a bunker and expect patients to be comfortable. Uh, but that's mandated, that's a, that's a rule. And what this particular hospital had was an outside ring, the exterior ring of the building was the family area, which meant that the interior ring was the ICU area, so they did not get direct exterior light. But it did get indirect exterior light because the whole outside area, we call it a racetrack, the whole outside track of the area was all glass, as you saw. So there actually was plenty of exterior light coming in, plenty of light shining in and, and, and adding to that comfort level and that relaxation level for the, for the environment of care. There's all kinds of studies that back this up. You know, it's not just someone deciding on their own there are, this is clinically based uh, rulemaking. And so, excuse me if I got off track, this particular hospital likes to have an outside track for family area. And then the ICU is in the, is, is at, so, is in the inner ring. So the rooms are kind of the, so there's an outside ring, there's like a, a, a hallway with some seating. A hallway which faces the outside to the world. With all glass and it's, it's very lovely and then the next ring in are the patient rooms. On the patient beds. So, so you can act, so the family members can access the patient beds and the patient rooms from, without going through the nursing From the station. family area. From the family area. And, and on the other side of the patient room is the clinical, the highly clinical core where the nurses stations right. are and the supplies and the, all the machines yeah. and all the sounds. Yeah. So that the clinicians aren't mixing and bumping into hordes of family members coming in, right. and the family members aren't mixing with the very, um, could be possibly upsetting and scary, clinical type aspects. So it works out very, very well. It's, it's, it was a really neat, so there's three concentric circles. The center is the nurse's station with the pro, where the providers are. Looking the out next, at the patient areas. The patient area. then, then you have the, the next ring are the actual patient rooms, and then the th outer ring is the, is the family area. And so the families could potentially come in and never really, I mean, they, I, they could see through to the other side, to, to inside the. Sure, but they're not traipsing through the whole clinical area having, yeah. and seeing all sorts of other patients, which has, which has consequences for both sides, and, yeah. and, and it's, it's a very uncomfortable place, the ICU. Yeah. Uh, that, let's face it, it just is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they are only comfortable, really, with their own folks. And it also gives the, pa the family an area to relax, to, yeah. to get out of that intense environment, and to kind of decompress, and maybe have a conversation with each other, or have a conversation with the doctor. There were also two consultation rooms. Yeah. Uh, where, where families and, and clinicians could go to have maybe a, a little bit of a more difficult uh, conversation, uh, maybe a more impactful, a deeper conversation. Yeah, I just, I just, my sense was that, you know, the family experience would be so much less clinical, so much less, imper you know, that impersonal sense of, of business and, and get, give you a chance to be a little more intimate with your family member. Well, it's kind of funny because at the end of the day, a hospital is a business. Too. True. You, know, you don't like to look Absolutely. at it that way. Right. But if the family enjoys the time that they were here more, 
and they know it's a much more comfortable place. Right. And it's a much more comfortable place for their family member that might be compromised in some way. And they, they, can, they can look back at their experience, and hopefully it's a successful experience in the ICU, and say that was really something that was really enjoyable. We, we could relax, and, and, and it wasn't as difficult as the time we went to that other one. Well, then they, you know, they're likely going to come back to this hospital. And, 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 and it also helps with, with recruitment, which is a very high priority in hospitals, staff retention, staff recruitment. You know? So they put a lot of time, money, and space here at Lowell General Hospital, space, valuable space, into that family area. And it was all for, 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 for many different reasons, and it's worked out fantastically for them. You know, speaking of space, we were talking before we started recording about the cost per square foot of, of healthcare space versus, say, office space. And you were kind of explaining what, what, is, what drives that much higher dollar amount. Well, it, it, healthcare space is, is going to be more expensive because of the, uh, the things that it needs to have in it. I mean, if you're looking to build an office space, you need, you need walls and doors and carpet. Uh, so you, you take that and you need that in, in, in a hospital space, but you need much more upgraded walls. Uh, you, need, you need walls and, uh, that, will, that will be much more easily maintained, easily cleaned, antimicrobial walls. Doors have to be more secure. Doors have to be more soundproof. Doors have to be more, again, antimicrobial. And then countertops as, as well. But then there's a lot of plumbing involved. There's a lot of medical gases running through the walls. And there's the amount of, of again, mandated, and, and certainly for patient care recommended, uh, HVAC and plumbing work that's in the walls and in the ceilings. They have to be negative air and positive air, positively charged rooms, negatively charged rooms. There has to be a, a much higher level of air changes and exchanges throughout the day uh, as far as stale air. There have to be, uh, in this particular uh, facility, in the variable air boxes in the ceiling, they have ultraviolet lights to kill any germs or microbes that might be uh, migrating through there. You know, in, in this particular environment, patients are compromised. Their immune systems are compromised. And they are vulnerable and susceptible to, to, to different situations. And, you know, the hospitals where everybody that's sick comes. You know, so it's, if, if, if you want to get sick, you, you go to where the sick people are. And, and, and it's an unfortunate reality. So they have to really step up to be a, a much, much more efficient a much more expensive level of construction to protect their patients and protect the staff as well. So it's, it has to do, it's, it's a much higher level of, of HVAC uh, and, excuse me, mechanicals, HVAC, mechanical electric plumbing. Uh, the floor to ceiling ratio is a lot higher because you have to put all that stuff in the ceiling. There's equipment that has to be supported. The overhead booms the overhead things for bariatric uh, patients, the isolation rooms, things like that. The types of door systems are much more expensive uh, because of the security levels or, or the safe or the anti, uh, the infection control levels that have to be implemented. You know, when you look at an operating room, the type of, or a research lab even, uh, the, the, the level of construction there and the types of, of equipment, the types of materials, the types of support in the walls and the ceilings and the floors is uh, much, much more expensive. You know, you, healthcare construction can cost, and that's one of the things that Obamacare was doing, was they were driving hospitals to decampus themselves 
and to, and to build much less expensive clinical treatment space, whereby if I'm going in and I'm a healthy uh, 35-year-old male, which I'm not, but if I was, I'm a healthy 52-year-old male. <laughs> so I'm a 52-year-old male and healthy, and I have to go in for my annual physical. Yeah. Why should I have to go into a downtown academic medical center, which could cost up to seven or $800 a square foot, when I don't need any of the equipment and any of the need for any of that extra cost, when I can go to a medical office building, maybe in my hometown or the next town over, that's built a little bit more commercially and doesn't have nearly the amount of guts in the walls and bones in the walls and have my little checkup, and that would be fine. So, and that's one of the things that Obamacare has, has been driven to do. And of course, if, uh, if there's a deeper issue, then I can go into the academic medical center where I can be treated at a high level. Healthcare is an expensive building uh, to, to, to build, or an expensive types of building to build, and it's another area where, where they're looking to become more efficient, you know, and you'll see a lot more of urgent cares in the Massachusetts or the New England area where you'll see a lot more medical office buildings and they call them medical arts buildings. The hospitals are still busy, but not everybody has to go to a hospital to get a level of care. And you'll see more and more too telemedicine. You know, I, I, I might not even have to go see the doctor. Right. You know, I can, I can do a telemedicine or a Skype and show them the rash that I have or the, or the bruise that I have and they'll tell me what to do. I might have to go to CVS and just get some topical ointment or maybe it's, that's, that's the, you know, the itsy bitsy rash and that goes around, it'll go away in a two days. You don't need yeah. to take half a day off and come into the, into right. the hospital. Well, how are those trends affecting uh, as you look into the future for green and for the industry, for the construction, in, for the healthcare construction industry, how are, how are those trends affecting your business and your thoughts about the future? The more things change, the more things stay the same. I mean, they've been saying for years that there's going to be, for decades, that there's going to be less, a need for less beds. And it just hasn't happened yet. You know, as technologies advance, more and more things can be treated. And as technologies advance, more and more treatments are successful. So, you, you, you know, you, you're kind of switching one from the other. You know, uh, as far as construction goes, whether you're building academic medical centers or building medical office buildings, it, it, you're still building healthcare space. Yeah. You know, uh, the baby boomers are just starting to come into the, the real frequent flyers, as they say, for, for medical needs and for, yeah. for, for healthcare. Uh, so, uh, no matter how much technology is taking things away, uh, there's just going to be more and more need for healthcare. Okay. You know, it's it's the same. I think I think that the uh, industrial world is is finding the same thing with robotics. You know, there's still major factories. They're still finding. I was listening to the radio this morning. They're finding workers had to come by, uh, even though there's more and more automation. You know, it's, it's, it's switching for the, the automation now needs maintenance and the automation now needs installing. You know, instead of, instead of the person sitting there fitting widgets or, or welding car pots. Right. You know, so I don't think, I, I go to a lot of healthcare conferences and I hear a lot of futurists, they call themselves, talking about how the change of healthcare is going to be imminent and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be dramatic. And honestly, I've been doing that for 15 years and I haven't seen much of the change. So maybe I, I got my head in the sand, but yeah. I, uh, I, it, everything changes and I don't think it's going to be dramatic. So you've had a long 
career and starting with with real estate and construction and thinking commercial maybe with your father's business? Yeah, I'd say more commercial, yeah. I got into healthcare when I went to Berry. So so starting with commercial real estate, moving to heavy civil and now having spent the last portion of your career primarily in, in healthcare. How does that all kind of fit together for you? How did, how did how the lessons what are the, what were the lessons that kind of you learned from the beginning that still stick with you? Well, I'm a construction guy. Yeah. You know, that that's that's what I am. I'm not a finance person, I'm not a banker, I'm not a doctor. I'm a construction guy. And I enjoy being a construction guy. I enjoy it. I enjoy being that person. I built my own house because I'm a construction okay. guy. Uh, I wanted to do that. And I, not on my resume, I was a brief, brief stint in home building. But, you know, it, 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 it affects me in, 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 in my life as in, I, I mean, I know what goes into something, what it takes to build something. I know what it, I know what it takes to run a company. I know what it takes to have to have stay on budget. Uh, I know what it takes to be responsible. And, and I've gotten to work with a, a folks all around the whole spectrum of, of, of life. And, and, and it's helped me to develop a, a, a healthy respect for people. I'm, I'm lucky in that I deal with people every day, different people, and I deal with a changed, a changed atmosphere of work every day. And I've got exposure to a lot of different things. And maybe it's made me more, more intelligent, more fun at a party to have a conversation with. I don't know. It's, it's been a wonderful life so far, and I, I really yeah. wouldn't change it for anything. What do you find? So speaking of parties. It's been um, a wonderful career, excuse wonderful, me. Yeah, but, so you're at a, I'm going to put you, you're at a, um, uh, you're at a cocktail party, and someone says, "Well, what do you do?" And you say, "Well, I'm in healthcare construction." What do they? What do you find yourself then having to? What do they assume that's wrong? And most often, and what do you find yourself having to educate people on? It, it, I mean, whether it's a cocktail party or, or more importantly, probably talking to a board member who maybe doesn't have experience with. Uh, a board member at a hospital? Yeah, that maybe well, doesn't that's have more fun. Yeah, that maybe doesn't have direct experience with construction, for example. So, what do you find yourself most often having to explain about construction that people just kind of either have wrong assumptions? Well, people about? just don't get it when I, if I say I'm a, I'm a, you know, a, a, a construction executive and we focus on healthcare construction, you know, the next question might be, what do you mean? And and or I'll see the question in their eyes and I'll say, we build new hospitals, additions renovations at hospitals. That's what it is. Because okay. if people aren't in the construction industry, they don't quite get it. They don't look for it. They don't listen for it. They don't see it, you know? And, and, and I sometimes make the assumption that everybody's thinking what I'm thinking. Right. And it's just not right. Right. You know, so it's, and they, and they find it interesting. You know, they find it interesting, but it's more of a construction answer. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm dealing with a, a board member, well, they generally have gone through a project or know okay. that a project is cooking at some point. It's, yeah. So when I'm dealing with a with a board member that that has healthcare knowledge, you know, they've they've all dealt with a project of some degree and some level at some point, mm-hmm. and so they know a lot more about what I'm talking about, and and uh, you know, they might have a little bit more interest as in what's the cost of this coming up, or what's it cost these days for that, or when you do a project like this, how did you approach it? You know, and, and my desire when talking to someone like that is, what do you have coming up next? <laughs> and I'll, t- I'll okay. help you. Okay. You know, okay. I mean, that's, a, that's a, a bonanza when I run into someone like that at a party. But uh, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's just a bit like everybody else. I mean, it takes people understand what you, you know, what you do for a living. Sure. 
So for, you know, as I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this, though, when I when I tell people that I'm proud of it. Yeah, I'm proud of what I do. Yeah. I enjoy what I do. I'm proud. Of, I'm proud of of the work that I do. I'm proud of the work that my company does. I'm proud of the clients that I have. I have to say that after having seen the work you guys did here, it's it's pretty impressive. So well, the work is nice, but I, I hope I hope that the person that led us around, Jeff, the facilities director, was. I hope that I hope that he was able to convey the satisfaction and the comfort level he had with the company as how it how it went. You know, a construction project is. You can either get it done well and, and have it be comfortable for everybody, or you can ride it like a tiger. You'll eventually get to the end. But if the project is, if the, if the process is horrible and terribly discomfortable, uncomfortable and, 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 and impactful to the, to the hospital, uh, we've done a terrible job. And, and that affects me in two ways. One is I, I don't feel right about it. Two is they're not going to call me back either. You know, so... Getting it done right is important for, for a couple of different reasons. Some of them selfish, some of them altruistic, but both very real. <laughs> so, from, um, so as you know, I teach, uh, I teach a, an undergraduate program uh, in healthcare management. So for young folks who would be interested in maybe getting into the healthcare construction side of things, uh, that, that portion of the industry, what, what kind of advice would you give them? Well, it's, it's funny, and I know you come from the more administration level, and there are schools like Wentworth Institute of Technology that teach construction and, and, and construction planning, design, architecture, et cetera, and, and specialize in healthcare construction. Hmm. What, I would, what I would advise your students who are more administrative, healthcare administration-wise, to get into is to, is to pay attention to it, mm -hmm. is to know more about it and not consider it, oh, the guy's in the basement. You know, there is a tremendous impact to bottom line. There is a tremendous impact to your patients. There is a tremendous impact to your staff. Uh, and there is a tremendous impact to the space and, and what your hospital is to the community and to your patients. And, and you know, I, I don't want to put anybody in a bad light, but I say sometimes the administration uh, tends to not know construction, so they tend to not participate, care, involve themselves too much. They'll, they'll involve themselves in the budget because that's what they do. But this particular institution has a great COO who was really involved in the construction, liked to stick her nose into it, liked to go to the meetings, liked to know what was going on in her hospital, in her ICU. Because it, because her whole hospital means something to her, you know. Uh, I, I like to say, and, and this might be unfair, but it's it's true in a lot of places. Lean and efficiency is very important. It's always very important, but it seems to be more important today. And hospital administration will spend thousands or tens of thousands of dollars in cutting down the amount of steps that a nurse may take from the nurse's station to a patient room, or the nurse takes to a supply closet, you know, from 23 to, to 21 or, or, or 18. And that's a very important thing for them, and it's lean. But when the operations or the facilities budget comes up, they say, okay, knock 4% off and tell them to see me next year. You know, they're down in the basement. That's where the pipes are. That's where the machines are. You know, and it's, like I said, if you're in administration and you're not paying attention to it, you're not doing your job to your fullest because there is a tremendous amount of efficiency or inefficiency, however you want to look at it. There's... There's impact to your facility, there's impact to your patients, there's impact to your staff uh, in, in that what you kind of didn't train for, 
so it, it, it should be considered. That's pretty much all I'm going to ask you. So is there anything else that you'd like to, that I've missed, that I should have asked you about? No, I, I, I enjoy talking about it. I enjoy talking about it, and my goal today, my goal, my desire was to say that last statement and, and, and to make sure that you as a, as a teacher and, and students as, as, as future hospital administrations pay more attention to this segment because it's construction, it's not considered health care. And, and but it's starting to blend a little more and just pay more attention to it and to make sure that it's covered one day, that that chapter is covered. You know, as, as well as all the others, which are very important, of course, you know. Because the time will come where they'll have to know about construction. They'll have a project. And they may work at an academic medical center where there's a constant level of projects. And a project at a smaller rural hospital may make or break the, may, may break the, uh, the hospital, you know. It, it may be the thing that, if it doesn't get done, drives them under. It may be the thing that, if it does get done, it drives them under. If it, does, if it gets wrong, it could send them in the wrong direction for, for, for many years. You know, so it's, a, it's much more important. Uh, and, and right now with outpatient, the, the real estate, uh, satellite location analysis, you know, they're putting the urgent cares next to Starbucks. They're saying right now that they want medical offices in strip malls because that's where the people are. And that will help the strip mall and it will help the medical office. And so the, the retailization of healthcare in the commercial sense is coming. And it's the business end of it. I understand that for generations, hospitals have been the place for care where wonderful people work and there's free care. And hospitals started in the United States because of the religious institutions. It was a, it was a, a charitable thing, health care. And the industry for generations became charitable and, and not focused on the bottom line. But now that's changed. And so all things have to be considered in that bottom line. And the facility is one of the biggest expenses. Thank you so much for your time today. This has been really very, very uh, enlightening for me. You're welcome, and I'm glad to be able to help you. I really am. You've been listening to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production of the College of Health and Human Services at the University of New Hampshire and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org, for more information or to leave comments about today's podcast. Look for Health Leader Forge podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other podcast distribution sites. Thanks for being a part of the Health Leader Forge community, and we'll talk with you again in about two weeks.